Well, hey, good morning. Hey, how are you? Oh my, oh, that was like so lame. You guys, seriously, how are you? Yeah, come on, there you go, there you go, yeah. So hey, that was um, Chrissy, who's lead pastor of Ecclesia Church in Houston. And uh, uh, strangely enough, he was at our first service ever for Gateway and prayed with us, and they've been a sister church with us ever since. And we're really just proud to be able to partner with them. We wish we were under different circumstances right now. But we're really grateful that we have that connection and we can do that to help in such a time as this. I want to tell you about some ways that you can get involved because a lot of people have been asking questions about how you can get involved. And so one is through supplies. And so out in the lobby in our website are lists of supplies that you can bring to Austin Disaster Relief Network and to Ecclesia, that things that they need immediately and that you can drop right here. There are places for you to drop that right there in the lobby. lobby. And then another thing we're going to be doing, we're kind of calling this a give and go sort of strategy. So giving, but also going. And uh, uh, over all Gateway, uh, hundreds of you have already signed up to go on a trip next week to Houston, which is pretty cool. That's pretty amazing. So well done. And we're looking for people who have rebuilding skills. We need um, the most right now. But for the next several months, all the way through the next year, we're going to be sending teams. We're in this for the long haul. And then the third thing, of course, we're taking offering. And so right now we're taking offering. And I want to remind you, if you're new here, feel no pressure what to give. That's just an ongoing standard for us. If you're new, this service is a gift to you. But I want to tell you a little bit about what your offering does. 10% of every offering we ever take here on, a, on an ongoing basis goes to meet benevolence and compassion issues. Uh, it's the, way, the reasons why we can respond immediately in a situation like this and, and give to a church like Ecclesia, who's on the ground, who's making things matter. And you should know we've already uh, put $20,000 towards immediate relief, towards the highest hit areas of Houston so far already. And as we reassess with our partners on the ground there, we're going to be able to do so much more. And I just want to thank you for your generosity. It's what makes it possible for us to respond right away and not have to wait. So, well done. Seriously. Yeah, there you go. And let's keep showing some love for Houston. You can find more on how you can give above and beyond your normal contribution on the website. Let's keep showing them some love, right? All right, but the question that we're going to wrestle with today is what is love? Baby, don't hurt me. Don't hurt me no more. Anybody, when you say what, no one? Okay, so I'll just keep moving. Army of one, Rob, go. All right, so we're finishing a series today called The One Another's, and we're talking about today specifically how to love one another. Last week, Hurricane Harvey did hit and tried to keep us from meeting, but we did not let that work, and many of you we're not here. Don't think we didn't notice. Um, so you might want to go online and check it out. It was a great week, even though it was a low-attended week, and we understand. But it was a great week. We, uh, across all our campuses, we had this sort of musical metaphor thing happening. We smashed guitars at Central, South, and North. And I was at North last week with our senior pastor of all, Gateway John Burke, and, and uh, he smashed my guitar. I think we have a photo of that. He literally smashed my guitar with a hammer. You can see my dismay. That was just churlish. So, anyway, I just wanted to use that word, sorry. But in response to that, here's a funny thing that happened. Um, you're going to want to check out why that happened. Uh, because we think that as much with all deference to all the devastation that's been happened as a result of Harvey, we think greater devastation happens on a regular basis when people don't learn how to handle conflict well. And they resort to their brokenness and their anger. They don't learn to love and handle conflict in the way that Jesus taught. And so Will Dishinger, our other uh, executive pastor, Charles Dishinger, his son Will, is nine years old, and he was being tucked into bed this week by his dad. And as he was, he was praying, and he prayed as a result of this. He, his prayer was, dear God, please help Mr. Rob get a new guitar. 
Isn't that, isn't that sweet? Yeah, it is sweet. But the best part is this. He then went on to say, and please help Pastor John with his anger issues, which is <laughs> awesome. And that is why we have age-appropriate next-gen programming right back there, because you never really know what's going to happen in here. You just don't know. So, listen, we're talking about loving one another. And here's most reasonable people want to be loved and want to extend love to others. But this is difficult because there's so many definitions of love, and everyone has a different definition of love. And I wanted to talk about several drastically different definitions of love today. In fact, in the New Testament of the Bible, there are three Greek words used to define, to define love. There are actually four Greek words for love. There are three that are used in the New Testament of the Bible, uh, which is really, really telling because there's only one English word for love. In this, in this, in this compartment, uh, English is a beggar for words here. And we kind of know it instinctively, right? We know that love is so massive that one single word doesn't really describe it. It's why we say things like this all the time. Well, you know, I, I still love them, but I don't love them, love them. You know what I mean? Like you say it twice, like, I like her, but I don't like her, like her. Oh, you say it twice, it's bigger. Right. We just kind of know instinctively that there's more to it. Sometimes we just say love. It's like, well, what do you mean by love? Like, do you mean love like just being charitable? Do you mean love like this? I mean, there's all kinds of angles and, and ways into it. And so the Greeks had four words for it very intelligently. And the first that we're going to look at is a word called eros. Eros love, it's typically what the world means when we say things like, I fell in love, or I just feel so much love for that. The Greeks called this eros, from which we get the word erotic, but eros is much more than just sexual love, you should know. It's the kind of love that I give in order to get something that I think will satisfy my desires. That's really important. Eros is the kind of love that I give expecting that I'm going to get something to satisfy my own desires. Eros is found in the Old Testament in the Song of Solomon, uh, it's a love that celebrates. It can celebrate the beauty or strength of the beloved. It, it, it can, it's a love that comes from desiring the attractive qualities of another. It's a love that looks for someone or something of great worth so to increase our own security and our own sense of worth. And here's the thing. We learn this kind of love very early on, and we learn to value this kind of love very highly very early on. In fact, Karen Lee Thorpe notes this about children's stories that often introduce and just keep reinforcing eros as love. For example, the prince was not enraptured with Cinderella's intelligence, right? It wasn't her witty banter. Yeah. It was her beauty, right? Snow White and Sleeping Beauty both netted their men while comatose. <laughs> Rapunzel spends 20 years in a tower never having a bad hair day. Come on, so every commercial that sells love to us is selling eros. It's, it's, it, eros is not bad. It's just it's never enough. It never fully satisfies. No matter how much eros we get, we always want enough. And as it turns out, the more we get, the more unsatisfied we become because it never quite gives us enough of what we're really longing for. In fact, Wire Services carried a story just a few years back of a man in Italy who was arrested for bigamy. Uh, at the time of his arrest, it was recorded that he had 105 wives. Whew. I mean, I'm sorry, but I can barely handle one. Like, I'm just, <laughs> I don't, yeah. So when the authorities asked him how this happened, how did it come to be that he had 105 wives, his response is classic. He said he received bad legal advice. <laughs> like, how, what is that conversation like with the lawyers? Like, hey, listen, 
don't draw too much attention to yourself. You know, it'll probably get flagged if you go over 100. So just keep this reasonable, right? Like 105 wives. And this describes Eros perfectly. It's Eros without any higher love attached to it, just uses others for its own pleasure. It does a great deal of damage to one another. Eros by itself leaves us all fighting to prove we're pretty enough, we're smart enough, we're worth enough, we're strong enough, we have brains enough, we have bucks enough to be something of value. And the thing is, God calls us to a much higher love. In fact, this is what we've been talking about for the last several weeks, that we're... God invites us to become his children, to literally form a new family. This is called the church. And in this new family, there are new family rules. These one another's that are found over 50 times in the New Testament. These statements that help us to all grow up spiritually, hopefully to become loving, healthy adults. I I wish I could tell you that in the church, you you always saw more than just Eros love. But unfortunately, sometimes in churches, we're limited to Eros love as well. Not... Not necessarily in a sexual way, although that can happen too. But, but this kind of love that only looks to associate with those who can do something for us. Unfortunately, we see it in church too. You're just like me. You make me feel good about myself. You have something of value to offer me. I'm just here to make business contacts. Maybe you just, just don't want to feel alone and somebody's better than nobody. And at worst, maybe you just want a cheap hookup. I mean, after all, this is not a meat market, but there sure are a lot of hams. I'll let you sit with that for a minute. You're welcome. So, listen, the world is full of examples of this type of love. I stay married to you until you no longer meet my needs as prescribed by me. I do for you as long as I like what you do for me. Eros is constantly tuning to WIIFM, which is what's in it for me. It's like, About nearly 20 years ago, my wife and I, with our two children, who were much smaller at the time, my son was five, my daughter turned a year old the very week I'm going to tell you about. We were on a vacation in New England. We were getting ready to return home from this vacation. It had been great. And we were flying out of Boston, Logan International Airport, which my son loved, by the way, being named Logan. And so when we got to the airport, there was a severe storm system in the area, and so we knew we were in for a very long day of delays. In fact, our flight was supposed to leave at 1. We didn't even board until 3.15. So we're already kind of exhausted and waiting and getting a little anxious about when we make our connection to get home to Virginia, where we lived at the time. We board the flight. We go to the very, very back of the plane where it's very uncomfortable, right by the bathroom. But we're lucky at that point we can afford to fly. So we're back there and we're nestled in. We'll end up spending over four hours. The, the plane leaves the jetway, goes out to the tarmac where it will stop and sit still for over four hours without any movement. Uh, we're one of the flights that got looked at uh, for like the passenger bill of rights that would come to be. But over the four hours of that flight, every so often the captain would come on and be like, Hello, folks, ladies and gentlemen, I just want to remind you we're in line to take off. It's only a 37-minute flight to Newark because we have to fly through Newark, New Jersey to get to Virginia. Just sit back and relax and enjoy the flight. That started to get old because nothing was actually happening. At some point during the four-hour stretch, my daughter, who turned a year old that week on vacation, learned to walk that week on vacation. She had a blowout in her diaper. If you have a child, you know what I'm talking about. It was a bad one. My wife immediately got up to take her to the bathroom that was right behind us, literally right behind her seat. She immediately was sternly rebuked by a flight attendant. Sit down! All passengers must be seated with their seatbelts securely fastened. FAA regulations require all passengers to stay seated. Do not get out of your seat. My wife was like, but it's a... And it was like, no, you you sit down. And so we had to change my daughter's diaper right there on our laps. It was melee. 
It was terrible. People were literally like, what the? And we were like, I know, it's, I, I know. And there was just like friction and things were, bad things were happening. So after four hours of this type of activity and people getting very frustrated back in the department we're in, uh, way back in the back of the plane in coach, the captain comes on and he makes an interesting announcement at this point after four hours. He says, at Newark International, there are only three ways for incoming flights to, 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 to be received into Newark. One from the north, one from the south, one from the west, whatever it was. He said, and um, two of those are completely blocked off. One due to construction and one due to the weather. There's only one, I think it's coming from the west, receiving planes right now. Uh, in order for safety, we like to keep five miles worth of distance between planes. Currently, there are over 170 miles worth of planes in the air waiting to land, i.e., we ain't never getting out of Logan International Airport. Upon hearing, and then he, but then he goes on generously, but I want to remind you, it's only a 37-minute flight to Newark. Sit back and relax and blah, 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 right? And upon hearing this, something happened to my wife I'd never seen before. She just had a panic attack. I'd never seen it. My wife's really pretty calm under pressure, famously even. But she, she heard this news and it was like, just it overwhelmed her. You know, the baby crawling in the lap, the diaper, the thing, the heat, there's no air running, all the, and she said, ah, you have to do something. Rob, do something. Do something right now. Rob, do something. I was like, what do I do? Do something. I was like, okay, okay. So I just, I go rogue. I just, unfl- I unbuckle my seatbelt. I get out. I'm in the aisle, right? I'm like, okay, I'm in the aisle. So I start walking up the aisle. I start walking up the aisle. Suddenly, people in coach start saying, yeah, go tell them we're fed up, man. We've had it. <laughs> so now I'm like, okay, okay. So anybody want to come with me? And they're like, no, man, you got it. You're our spokesman, man. <laughs> so now I'm the representative for coach class. And I go storming through coach class. I storm through business class. I storm through first class. This is pre-9-11. That's very important. I'd have been tased <laughs> by this point. <laughs> So the cockpit doors open. I practically walk into the cockpit when two flight attendants suddenly emerge and they just stand right in front of me. And one of them gets right in my face. This woman, she's like, sir, may I help you? Fingers right in my face. <laughs> and it was in that moment that I remembered that just in the last couple of years, I became a Christian. <laughs> and that seemed really inconvenient at the time. I'm not going to lie to you. <laughs> <laughs> so I just calmly took a deep breath and said, listen, hey, listen, yeah. Um, so here, here's the thing. Um, it's getting really rough back there, and we, we understand, we totally understand that this is completely out of your control and there's nothing that you can do. But, but it's, really, it's really getting pretty bad there. We're, we're just not moving. We've done the math. We know we're not going to make our connections. There's a lot of confusion back there. There's several internationals on this flight who don't speak English, and we've been trying to communicate with them, and they're crying, and there's a lot of tears. There's just, there's just a lot of anxiousness, and, and there, I told her about the diaper and the whole, ooh, and, you know, that's bad, and people are just getting upset. And I, and I said, I think you're going to have anarchy on your hands pretty soon. Seriously, I think you're going to have a situation. And listen, we appreciate the fact that you are erring on the side of safety. We get it. We understand this is out of your control, and we so much appreciate what you're doing. But we're just asking, please, we're just asking, could we appeal to your greater senses and just say, could we just please go back to the terminal? We get it. We're spending the night in Boston. None of us are getting home. We understand. But please, can we just go back to the terminal? Please? And she said, are you quite through? I said, "Uh, yes. And she said, well, I will have you know. That is against FAA regulations for you to be out of your service. I know I've got that earlier. Thank you. And she's like, you, I could have you arrested when we arrive at Newark. Would you like it very much if I had you arrested when we got off the plane? And I said something I probably shouldn't have said. I said something like, well, I don't think we're getting to Newark, so whatever, you know, whatever you got to do. And uh, probably not the wisest thing I've ever said in my life. And, uh, 
And then, and then she says, and I'll tell you, I'll tell you this, those, those terminals, those gates are for incoming flight, flights only. We cannot just simply turn around and go back. Those gates are for incoming flights. And FAA regulations are very clear that there are no exceptions to the rule. There is no way around this or nothing we could do. It's out of our pants. There's nobody on this aircraft that can do anything about this situation to make it better for you. Do you understand? FAA regulations are very firm. No exceptions to the rule. And furthermore, you are setting a terrible example for your fellow passengers. You need to get back in your seat right now and buckle your seatbelt. She was spitting all over me. It was a thing. It was a, it was a thing. And suddenly I realized there was a presence of a man standing like right, right, right over me. And I could feel like the musty breath of someone like on the back of my right ear. And then I heard this thick British accent. And I heard a man say these words. Well, I'll tell you this. I'm bloody fab as well. I'm with him. We are going back. We're going to go back to Boston, right? We're going back to the gate, right? You tell your captain we're going back to the gate and we're going back now. I thought to myself, wow, these first-class passengers know how to bring it, right? <laughs> I turned and I looked, and I was like, oh, David Bowie? Oh, oh, okay. David Bowie was standing right next to me. Does no one know who David Bowie is? Seriously? <laughs> Am I the only person who knows who David Bowie is? So I was like, David Bowie. And then I had this conversation with David Bowie on, uh, right there by the cockpit of that aircraft. I say, David Bowie. How you doing, man? <laughs> and uh, and he, lo he looks back at me and he says, I kid you not, he says, not too good, that's why I was standing here, right? <laughs> touche, David Bowie, touche. Captain leans out of the cockpit, says to the flight attendant who just bawled me out, what's going on back there? Flight attendant who just bawls me out leans into the captain and says, Mr. Bowie would like to exit the plane immediately. Captain says, no problem, tell me we'll be back to the terminal in five minutes. And that's how that works. <laughs> right there. Mr. Overholt from coach class brings a very articulate argument. No exceptions to the rule and no love for you. Mr. Bowie from first class, A-list celebrity from first class, comes in all love for you, anything that you want, sir. Because that's how the world works, right? Now, the best part of that story is this. No, no, no kidding. I turn and say to David Bowie, thanks, man, you, you, you saved the day. And he was like, hey, no, no problem, I like your moxie. So just make a note, David Bowie liked my moxie. <laughs> um, but the best part is I go back through first class, I go back through business class. Right when I get to coach class, the captain is announcing, boom, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to be heading back to the terminal in Boston. The place goes nuts. They're like, woo, you're the man. They're high-fiving me all the way down the aisle. I was like, I'm doing the handguns. You got it. Thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome. Good look, yeah. <laughs> so, but that's how the world operates right there. That's how it works, right? You come from coach class, there's no love for you. You come from first class, you could do something for me. You know, if you, could, if, you could go publicly, if you could go public with this episode and make me look bad, I'll suck up to you. If you can go public and make me look good, I'll suck up even more. Like, like if there's nothing you can do for me, then I don't care to extend anything to you. But if you can do something for me, then by all means, I'll extend everything. See, this is how the world works. I'm just so grateful that God, in his infinite wisdom, did not limit humanity to this kind of condition. God, in his superior wisdom, said, you, you, you could choose to stay in Eros, but there's much more to love than Eros. You don't have to stay. You could stay in limited to it, but that's your choice. But there's so much, there's so much 
there's so many richer dimensions to love. And it's not based on, on, on what class you sit in or the color of your skin or where you come from or your background or whatever. It's open to everyone. Everyone is invited to experience love at its deepest levels. I'm just so grateful that God doesn't operate the way we often see humanity operate. Not limited. Because there is higher love. In fact, God calls his followers towards this higher love. And at its first stage, the first, the first place we meet up with a higher love than Eros to, be, to accompany it is, is something that's called as phileo love. It's a brotherly, sisterly kind of love where it's literally where Philadelphia gets its name. City of brotherly love. Ironically. Uh, <laughs> if you, have you ever been to Philly? Yeah, okay. So Philly was named most dangerous city in the United States last year. So apparently a loving name does not for a loving city make. But phileo love is a love that doesn't, doesn't look to take, but cares for someone other. It's true friendship. It's a truly other-centered kind of love. The one, the one another passage where we really get introduced to this and locked in, we're going to focus on today, is Romans 12. It defines phileo love this way. It says, be devoted to one another in phileo, love. Honor one another above yourselves. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. This higher love God calls us to is not self-centered. It is completely other-centered. It's a devoted-to-one-another kind of love. So I, I checked out Cinnamons for uh, devoted, and it came up. It means dedicated, faithful, and devout. It means you're, sh- you're committed to showing this other-centered kind of love in a brother-sisterly kind of way. Paul, one of the first Christians who wrote those words in Romans, gives us illustrations of this phileo love. Honor one another more than you seek to be honored. I mean, think about it. We all secretly want to be honored, don't we? I mean, we all want to be lifted up. We all want to kind of be put on a pedestal. I mean, isn't that true? I mean, if it helps you to be more honest, think about it, we all want to be valued. We all want to know that we have value. And in the world, we clamor and manipulate for this in all the most corrupt ways in order that we can be esteemed greater. But what God is actually longing for is a humanity that loves one another by finding ways to honor others, to lift up others, to celebrate others. That's phileo love. And it, I want you to just think about this for a second. If, if humans could go into all relationships thinking, I want to honor someone else, potentially all humans would then be honored, could potentially be lifted up, valued, esteemed. If you need more tangible illustrations of phileo love, what it looks like around here, it could look like the life group that opens their home to the single mom in transition when she just lost her job, helps her get back on her feet again. I mean, that's phileo love. Phileo mourns with those who mourn. And recently, we've had two funerals here at Gateway, one at North and one here at South, both of incredible people who are well-connected and serving and have life groups and a new family around them. And that new family rallied around those families mourning with them and supporting them. And that's phileo love. But sometimes what's even more difficult, honestly, if, is... It, you know, when tragedy happens, when Hurricane Harvey happens, it's easy to step in and when, when it's tragic... But it's, more, it's much harder to step into a higher level of love, like phileo love, when, when, when something good is happening for someone else, but it's not happening for you. When, when someone else gets the promotion, they get the gig, and you didn't. 
When, when someone else has the baby and you're not able, it's really difficult because envy and jealousy and the whole why me thing sets in. And what God wants is a love that's much higher than eros. And phileo will show equal concern regardless of what we are, what we think other people have that we don't yet have, no matter what station of life they come from. It, it is the type of love that esteems and values the poor and the homeless equally as much as it, do, it does those that are on the cover of Forbes magazine. And we happen to have both in the family of Gateway, which I think is a beautiful display of God's work amongst us. Now here's, here's a bit of a dilemma. You can't really show this kind of love to thousands of people. Not, I mean, this is not at once, right? You just can't. That kind of love takes time and devotion. It takes a deeper commitment. And you can probably only do this for a small group of people, if you're being honest. I mean, you can't help everyone move, right? People are moving all the time in Austin. Could you imagine? It'd be crazy. I mean, you can't do that. You can't open your home or financially help every single person in crisis. You just can't. You can't visit every person who's sick or make meals for every person who's had a new baby. I mean, even Jesus couldn't do that. I mean, I want you to think about that. Jesus put 12 people around him for a reason. And he demonstrated this filet of love with them. He, he, he served them. He taught them. He taught them what it meant to love others more than yourself. He shared meals and he was vulnerable with them. And he didn't do this with everyone. He couldn't. He couldn't possibly. Jesus himself, having the very character of God, being the very Son of God, stepped into humanity, being the perfect human, but still limited while here to time and space the way we often struggle with it. So if Jesus couldn't do all that, and he needed 12, I ask you this, who are your 12? It's one of the reasons why Gateway, we organize the way we do, and we talk about some things that we do. We talk about the importance of serving, getting to a small serve team, getting to a, a serve team with other people so you can get connected. Maybe, maybe get into a life group of 8 to 15 and, and, and other venues where you, you can go through the highs or the lows of life together. A place where no, you know, everyone can be cared for, but no one has to care too much. And you can care too much. I mean, sometimes in the, very na- in the very wake of things like we've experienced over the last couple of weeks, I mean, our guilt meters can just spike. Like, I, I need to be everything to everybody right now. And you just can't. You can't do that. But you can do that for some. I mean, right? If we all had a handful of people that we serve with, a life group that we're going even deeper with, then we can practice this filet of love. If one of them needs help, you certainly can help. So who are your 12? Because we can't build God's church and his family without being devoted to each other in phileo love. Around here we have a couple of very specific things. We say, if you're, and you heard Tammy say this beautifully, if you're new here and you've been checking things out and you haven't stepped in and gotten involved, we'd invite you to take Starting Gate at the immediately following service over that flag. Starting Gate is a way for you. We think the best way and the simplest way for you to get connected, live connected with others, is to serve others with others. To literally begin to practice filet love. To say, my life, I'm going to extend myself in service to other people. And we think the best is the simplest way for you to start experiencing uh, how, to, how to give filet love and how to receive it. And then if, if, if you've been in a serve team for a while, maybe you're, you're, you're ready for a deeper, richer experience in loving, maybe it's time for a life group. Maybe, maybe you need to dig in and say, it's time for me to go spiritually to a new place and dig into the spiritual outcomes in a life group. Because there is a higher kind of love even still. It's even higher than phileo. And it's this, it's agape love, what Greeks call agape. It's a love that only comes from God. It's a love that goes way beyond what humans are capable of exhibiting. And flashes, sure, but on the long run, without God, no way. No way. This is the love that the world needs most. 
It's love of a completely different kind. I want you to think for a moment of the person that's hardest for you to love. Maybe it's an ex, maybe it's an obnoxious in-law, maybe it's your enemy at work. Who knows? I don't know. But Romans 12 talks about this sort of agape love, and it says this, agape love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Pick up 17 and going on. It says, do not repay anyone evil for evil. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not over, be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now some of you hear that and think, what? That's crazy. I like the heap burning coals on the head part. Let's talk more about that. <laughs> right? But man, hold on. Like, don't repay evil with evil, like do good for those who, do, do, who don't do good against me. That's so contrary, because this is, this is a love without condition. This is a love of the deepest level. This is the love of God. And it's the, it's the love God has for each and every one of us. And it's the love that God desperately wants us to receive from Him. He wants us to understand, and we cannot fully understand this love until we're in relationship with Him. And he desires for us to understand it, receive it, so that then we can begin to even give it to a broken and desperate world. A divine love that makes no sense, but heals the world on contact. It's another kind of love. It's the kind of love that flowed out of Jesus as people nailed his hands and feet to a bloody cross. And, when, and with that he said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. It's the kind of love that we're only capable of really giving in the long run. Over the long haul, if we declare Jesus our Lord, teacher, and guide. To be filled with this kind of love and the security that comes with it so that we no longer feel the need to constantly defend and justify ourselves, but we can rest knowing that we are loved in the deepest sense of the world and that we can then overflow with love to others, maybe those that don't deserve it at all in our minds. And it has to come from a source outside of us. It's the kind of love that loves the hard-to-love person, the spouse or the ex who keeps hurting us. It's the kind of love that seeks to bless rather than curse the coworker. that's out for us. It's out to get us. And I want you to just for a moment think, uh, try, try to think of those who have hurt you, who've wronged you, who've attacked you. When you do, and you're challenged to love like this, you'll see why you need God. You can't do it alone. I mean, we all have hard-to-love people, right? We all have adversaries or opponents or people who we just have animosity towards. It could be the owner of a competing business who's stealing away our best customers and threatening our livelihood, and if we're honest, we hate them for that. It could be the fellow salesman who's just fighting against you for advancement and they're outperforming you. Maybe the person who's firmly entrenched above you in the corporate structure and you resent her for blocking your path to the top. Could be the person who holds an opposing view on politics or an opposing view to something that's very near and dear to your heart and you think they're ignorant and don't understand. Might be the teacher who refuses to cut you some slack. It could be the former spouse who's trying to get custody of the kids. Could be the girlfriend who broke your heart. Could be the father who trashed your self-worth. Could be the loud, obnoxious neighbor who won't turn down the tunes. Could be a former friend who spilled secrets, your secrets to others and betrayed your trust. Might simply just be that obnoxious person with bad social skills on your serve team at church or in your life group and you can't stand them. Let's You have that person in mind? <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, here's how you begin to love with agape love. 
1 John reads this way, Dear friends, let us agape love one another, for agape love comes from God. Everyone who agape loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not agape love does not know God, because God is agape love. This is how God showed his agape love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is agape love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to agape love one another. How? Simple. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the son of God, God lives in them and they, they in God. So we know and rely on, rely on the love God has for us. Relying on God's love in us to spill out towards others. I tell you, agape love is not humanly possible. It comes from God. It's the very essence of who God is. It's a love without condition. It's a love that is undeserving. It's a love that heals an evil and broken world. It's a love when it's expressed, you know, when someone's yearning for this new higher love, to step out of just eros alone, it starts to move us, and we start to see people just move into this new love. It's amazing. It's what God calls us to, become new spiritual children in a new family. And all it requires is acknowledging that God sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice. Anyone who acknowledges Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. I love baptism. You guys, I have to tell you, it is literally my favorite thing. What we're about to see or experience in several months, it's literally, it's like the, it's like the payday for a lot of the labor and ministry, if I'm just being candid. It's amazing to see someone turn back to God, turn to God and say, I, I need this love that I, I'm just now beginning to understand. I want something more than Eros. I'm tired of just loving selfishly. I want something more. When that heart turns towards God, for the, it's beautiful. In that pool, the way that represents, I, 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 you know, it simply just says, I, I, I realize that going down into the water and coming out, that I am, a, a, I am identifying with the death of Christ and his resurrection so I can have new life. That I can love in ways that I only dreamt possible before. That I could understand and be loved, allow myself to be loved in ways that I never dreamt before. And baptism, here's something you should know. It's not just some church ritual. That's why I... I, people always say, like, oh, it's like the Lord's Supper and baptism of the two rituals. No, it's not just some ritual. It's actually a command of Jesus. Jesus literally said, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to observe everything I've commanded you. Teach them that there's way more to love than they think. That there's so much more for them than Eros. Frederick Buechner, a very insightful author, said these words, and I love them. He said, the love for equals is a human thing, a friend for a friend, a brother for a brother. It is love, what is loving and lovely. The world smiles. The love for the less fortunate, it's a beautiful thing. The love for those who suffer, for those who are poor, sick, the failures, the unlovely. This is compassion, and it touches the heart of the world. But then there is the love for the enemy. Love for the one who does not love you, but mocks you and threatens you and inflicts pain. The tortured's love for the torturer. This, Frederick Buechner says, is God's love, and it overwhelms the world. Maybe even in these moments, you will just allow yourself to be overwhelmed by the incredible love of God. This is agape love. 
I want to invite you into the next several moments. Some things are going to happen. You're going to see a video on why people have chosen baptism. You're going to hear a song from the band. We're going to sing together and worship. But I really want you to self-examine for the next several moments. I want you to ask yourself some questions. Have I identified with this higher love? Am I stuck? Am I trapped in this state of eros where it's got to be something for me? Have I begun to exercise and understand phileo love? Have I, begin, have I ever come to know the love of God? Have I ever invited God to love me on the deepest level so that I might learn how to love in a much deeper, richer way? I want to pray for you, and I just want you to self-examine your own heart and ask, what steps do I need to take today? And so, God, we pray right now that in these moments that you will do what only you can do. We've done all we can do. We've come together. We've set up a pool. We've, we've got things ready. We're here together. We're so thrilled and grateful that we can gather and do this. But God, now I'm asking, we've done what we can do. We're asking you to do what only you can do, which is draw a heart to you. Draw a person to you to connect to you. For the people in this room, God, I pray that are wrestling right now, who are on the fence, I pray they fall off the fence and fall towards you. And they realize that you are the source of the greatest, deepest, richest love, and they fall deeply in love with you. And out of that, they begin a journey on a well, a, a, a well that just springs up love for others. And we pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.